I wanted them to be distinct stories because I felt that's what Nancy wanted. And my husband said, what if they were all somehow tied together? And I said, well, that's a very cool idea, but I don't think that's what we want. But I mulled it over, and it, it seemed to be a brilliant marketing Hi, tool. this is Stephanie Fallon. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any of this sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have author Gail Priest. The last time she was on the podcast, she chatted with us about her Annie Kroll Knoll series, but today she's here to talk with us about her newly published collection of short stories titled Eastern Shore Shorts, published by Cat and Mouse Press. Her stories take place in towns all over Delmarva, from Chestertown to Chincoteague and lots of spots in between, including our very own Berlin. So welcome back to the podcast, Gail. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Would you just kind of give us a little bit of background on kind of what led you to move away from, you know, the trilogy series into these short stories? And I was lucky enough to be asked to write the Eastern Shore Short Collection by Nancy Day Sakadusky from uh, Cat and Mouse Press. She really enjoyed the Annie Cronold trilogy. In fact, she was kind enough to help me with some beta reading on the last book, Moonrise, and we'd become friendly. So you don't say no to Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) No, when Nancy asks, you come running. (laughs) I was so honored. I really wanted to work with her. So I hadn't written many short stories, but I had read her fabulous book on how to write short stories, winning short stories, and I'd also taken a course with her. And she mentored me through the process. Every once in a while, she'd remind me, Gail, you're not writing a novel. Um, (laughs) But we mapped everything out. So we knew how many short stories we'd have, what towns we were going to use. And that gave me a sense of keeping them concise and tight. So that's how it all started. Right. Now, when you're planning out a, a short story series, like a whole a book of short stories, are you how how hard do you try to create a thread or do you just let the story happen and if the threads occur they they occur well it's interesting because i wanted them to be distinct stories because i felt that's what nancy wanted and my husband said what if they were all somehow tied together and i said well that's a very cool idea but i don't think that's what we want but i mulled it over and it it seemed to be a brilliant marketing tool mm. And so I came up with the idea of the wedding in Easton because everybody loves a wedding. And if the bride and groom are having problems pulling off their wedding, it gets even more entertaining. And I thought if each character in the story somehow connected to that couple, it would feel more Eastern Shore because everybody is connected. Probably does anyway, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how that happened. It became more difficult to edit and... Actually, it took longer to write that way, but it was worth it because I'm so happy with with that connection. You know, I, like the, I guess the only danger is that you may have continuity problems, and that's mm-hmm. wh- when you're when you're looking when you're going back over a short mm-hmm. story and you're looking at it as an entity an, an entity unto itself. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to remember that later on that entity at least affects. You know, it's it's also because you don't want it to become like a bad lie, like you know where where it's like ah, I was there Tuesday, and then really because how did you get here Thursday? You know, <laughs> it's so true. And I had to keep copious notes, and I would update Nancy with the outline because that helped both of us to make sure things were flowing properly. And pretty late into it, I discovered I had a character 
you know, named Jim in two stories and certainly didn't want that. So I had to go back and rename somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but I hadn't caught it till the end. So can you guide me a little bit through about why these particular towns? I mean, Delmarva has a very rich history mm-hmm. in, you know, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, you know, the Chesapeake, the Atlantic. There, there's a lot of stuff here. So how did you narrow it down to the ones you picked or were there like, have you been to Berlin and just became inspired by something you saw and just kind of filed that away and said, one day I'm going to write a story about that. And then <laughs> this opportunity presented itself. Could you talk a little bit about the selection of, of the towns here? I do pay attention to interesting places and interesting people, very observant. And Nancy and her husband, Joe, had suggested certain towns. And the list was longer than we wanted to use at that point. So I'm hoping maybe there's volume two down the road. (laughs) But for these towns, I picked the towns I knew best. I started with Chestertown because it's close to the cottage. We rented for 17 summers in in Berlin and I mean, uh, Evergreen Knoll down in uh, Betterton. And you went to college, Washington College. I sure did. When I saw Chestertown, I was like, well, you (laughs) you got me by the heart right there. And I really do love Berlin. I had been here a couple times before I met you two and then came back for the other podcast. And Gary and I love just wandering around Berlin. And then I found out they had this bathtub race. And I thought, oh, how perfect is that? So I made that part of the story, part of the situation. Um, We wanted to get the feel of the towns, what makes Chestertown different than Chincoteague, different than St. Michael. So I, uh, I had a good time traveling to some places I didn't know as well. And then I certainly picked ones I did. I, I made sure I used Rock Hall because I'd spent a lot of time down there and it's such a great town. Well, they're all great towns, but there's something about that place that's <laughs> that's special. <laughs> and I wanted a story about a water woman that I knew. Um, they're called mermaids. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Yes, we know. We have a connection with mermaids, with cat and mouse breasts. So that idea of taking characters that were of interest to me and putting them in these settings and, and somehow marrying them became a great adventure. I loved writing these stories. I had so much fun. Did you get to take a lot of time to make the 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 setting clear to people who weren't familiar? Because mm-hmm. you know um, what what I wrote here is like you know there's a, it's a difference between it was it was a hot night in Denton and it was a hot night in New Orleans. You mm-hmm. know, like I've never been to New Orleans, but boom, that's right in my head. Denton, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what it means if there's a hot night in Denton. Mm-hmm. Definitely, there. It means really spending time in the towns, finding out what what it's like, what are the people like, what makes them unique and special. Uh, you know, when you go into Easton, it's so different than Rock Hall or Berlin. You have that sense of a county seat and wealthier people, you know, and, and Chestertown has the college and the theater. I tried to really hone in on what made the town special. Um, I love Cambridge and I hadn't been there a lot. So Mm -hmm. I went back down there and wandered around and I found out there was a woman barber, you know, a one seat business. And so I said, I have to make sure she's a character in whatever story I wrote. I write for Cambridge because that was unusual. That was fun. And they're working so hard to bring the downtown back. 
you know, and they're on, on Facebook and they're, they're doing everything they can. And I really admire that. So I wanted to make that part of it. Well, there's a lot to pull from. I think when you go to a downtown area, I mean, working every day in, in Berlin, for example, mm-hmm. they're very committed to, you know, a very thriving downtown. And it's just, you get a, such a sense of history and mm-hmm. time and place. And it just, a, a beautiful, warm, sunny day just feels different on Main Street Berlin than it does at the Berlin Walmart, you know? Mm-hmm. And oh, I definitely. think- it sounds like when you were writing these stories that that was really important for you to capture. And I think it did bleed through in the writing that you did because, you know, when I was reading the story about Berlin, it, I mean, because I'm here mm-hmm. and you referenced all the things that I see every day and all the things that, I mean, even this year we're participating in the bathtub races, you know? Oh, good. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> you know, which are June 23rd, um, you know, it's, there's something to be said for capturing that nuance of a, of, of a moment in a town, in a place. Mm-hmm. And it, so for you as a writer, when you approach that, how do you sort of say, okay, this is, this is what I've got and this is where I've got to get to? When I think about the characters and what they're going through, we want to relate to them. We want them to be everyday people. Um, and so where I place them has to do with their background. So for the Berlin story, I decided they were antique dealers, you know, the father and daughter at Town Center Antiques. And I, I enjoy that store. It's fun. My husband and I can get lost in there for hours. And there are wonderful stores here. And so I thought I had an idea about this father, you know, in his 80s and his daughter in her 60s and mom has passed away and she wants her dad to move on. So she decides to try to match make a little bit. And and he's very resistant and very annoyed. And of course, it all blows up in his face because he ends up liking the woman that she matches him up with. So I, I try to think, you know, what kind of people would be selling antiques? And then when you go to the Chestertown story, you know, you have the Garfield Center for the Arts and and I decided I'd have a retired Broadway designer who went to school there and decides to come back after graduating from Washington College. He's successful in Manhattan and in New York, but he wants to settle back here. And, um, you know, so he's going to design the costumes for the shows there. And that's why he knows what's going on at the theater. And, uh, well, I talked about the barber. I really love her. And I bring <laughs> her her sister is in um, Drama Queen in Chestertown. And then I bring them together in Leaps of Faith. So you have a woman who probably has a lot more money than her sister. Uh, but they, but that doesn't matter. That goes away when they get together. Mm. You know, they're, they're just sisters. And, uh, you know, they're trying to encourage each other to move on with their lives. All of my characters, I, I concentrate on second chances and moving forward, having a chance to forgive and, and enjoy present life. Now, when you do something like that, is it difficult to keep it a standalone story? Is it difficult to remember that you can't, that you, you have to assume that someone is reading this story first with no knowledge of the other ones? Mm-hmm. And, and Nancy kept reminding me of that <laughs> in a good way. She's a wonderful editor. And I, I would finish a story before starting the next one. And I would send her the draft. And I wouldn't go back to it, even when she, and she sent notes back right away. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I asked her, I said, I think I should stick with getting the stories done before I go back. So they, they do have a separate life. And my head is in that town with those characters. 
And then when I go back and edit, I can blend them, um, if you will. I think about uh, Peacemaker Puppy. I, I decided I, you know, Salisbury would be a good town, and and having the college there, it would be great to have someone coming home. I have a couple stories where people are coming home, and that's part of their second chance. That if he were a college professor, and I teach part time college uh, at Rowan University in New Jersey, so I know the, you know, the academic life and mm. what he would be struggling with and going through. So I. I decided that that would be a lovely character. And I, I looked through the neighborhoods. I thought, where would he live? And where would his kids go to school? I kind of get into their heads. And I remember talking to you a little bit about my theater background when I was here before. So I, I do approach it kind of like an actor and a director. Mm. I see it like a film. And I do get into the characters' heads as if I were playing them. Now, did you like do all of this... I mean, clearly you, you visited all the towns, but was there like was there like a plan or was it just you're driving along and you're like, hi, I think I'm going to stop here. Like, how did you how did you choose, you know, all of these different places? Did you visit each one first or as you were visiting? Well, a lot of them I had been to because we've spent a lot of time on the Eastern Shore. Mm -hmm. So I picked ones I loved, picked, picked ones I knew because why reinvent the wheel? Mm -hmm. I think if we do a second volume, I'll have to do a lot more traveling. <laughs> But I did go with the towns I knew best. And then the ones that were a little hazy, yes, we went down and we visited. And I stayed for a few days and interviewed people and hung out and, you know, did the cultural things. Mm -hmm. I went on the history. They have a trolley in um, Chincoteague. And my husband and I hadn't been there for years. And it was so lovely to go back. And then we did the tour. And I, I took notes. I'm the only person on the trolley taking notes. <laughs> I didn't end up using any of them. But <laughs> I met some lovely people. And... And I got a sense of the town, a better sense. It's funny. Uh, for me, I will take notes occasionally, but the fact of the note is all I need. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that I, re I, I don't refer to them ever. Like mm -hmm. as you were saying, like uh, if I'm like, this strikes me and it strikes me enough to actually write it down, then it's, then it's already stuck. And okay. then I'll, and then I'll have it later. Is that, is that what, or did you just not like the notes? That it you flies made? out of my head. I have to look at my notes. <laughs> I don't retain it like you do, Tony. <laughs> you didn't retain it either. Don't listen. Huh? No. I did have a question. You kind of touched on it earlier, but there's something I'm interested in. So, um, because I sort of have the opposite problem. So you were, you, you've written fiction novels and now you've moved into the short story, which is sort of, um, that it, it is different. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the way that you approach crafting a novel is going to be different than potentially the way that you would craft a short story. Um, I'm the opposite. I craft short stories and now I'm trying to write a full book and I'm finding mm. it. I'm just smashing my head on a wall most days. So uh, when you go from one style to another, when you go from being a fiction novelist to being a fiction short storyteller, was there anything that you found particularly difficult or anything that you found like oh wow this is so much easier when I do it this way or was there any sort of sort of jumps between the two the only reason I ask is because I I find that going from writing short stories all the time mm -hmm. you know I, I you know I guess maybe my attention span is is maybe a little <laughs> bit shorter and now that I'm trying to apply this to a longer space I'm realizing that I'm mm -hmm. you know 
maybe I'm more of a sprinter and not so much more of a, of a marathon runner. <laughs> Whereas you're a marathon person who's just like, and you're like, Oh, I'm done. Is this, is this the end? Is this the finish line? So I didn't know if you found any sort of challenges along the way in that, in that regard. Well, maybe because I'm getting older, I, I need to do shorter pieces yeah. <laughs> because now I'm back to a new novel and, and it's, it's not as long and I'm, I'm running out of ideas and I think, Whoa, if this were a short story, it'd be a lot better. I know I had to limit the scope. Okay. And and I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed this sort of surgical strike. Go in, you know, fewer characters. The the problem has to be introduced quickly. The arc has to come, uh, and it worked out. They aren't short short stories. They aren't. They're probably maybe a little longer than Nancy <laughs> wanted them, but they are short stories. They're not novelettes. I did manage the genre. Um, and I liked that challenge. And when I first started writing, I was writing plays. So, oh, yeah. you know, there you are on stage, it's all dialogue. Right. And, and that's, that's always my strongest anyway. I hear people talking in my head and I'm not really crazy, but any writer out there will know, you know, <laughs> what I'm talking about. So the dialogue comes first and then I fill in. Um, and then when I, I wrote my first novel, I thought I have to describe things. I have to get the visual across. We have to be where we are and people have to feel that atmosphere. So that was a new lesson that I had to learn. So maybe the playwriting helped me with the short story because it's it's cleaner and sharper and narrow. Yeah, I'm sort of fascinated by that, that for you, the dialogue comes first. Mm -hmm. For me... I, I try to avoid dialogue at all costs <laughs> <laughs> to the point where it's like obvious that this writer does not want to do dialogue. So it's just interesting mm -hmm. to me that that part comes to you first. It's all because of theater. Sure. I'm sure it is. Well, years and years in theater. And so a lot of times when I'm doing the first draft, I worry about what I haven't filled in, but I just make a note now. Make a note. Come back. You're going to come back to this. Just let them talk and get it down before they stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've 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 talked about dialogue a couple of times on this show before because mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's such a challenge for people generally. It's it's one of those things I think that if you're good at it, it's hard to explain why you're good at it, and mm -hmm. if you're not, it it can be it can be a real struggle to get through. My difficulty has always been that it sounds phony and i think mm. what what i've heard from other playwrights and please tell me if if this is your experience is that there is this kind of like understood phoniness that is acceptable in dialogue mm -hmm. that isn't acceptable in a newspaper story oh i understand what you mean yeah i think it has so much to do with the character and I, i'm not totally comfortable with phony but uh, that's me There's saying a, that I sound like a big phony. That's not me saying that you sound like a phony. <laughs> I don't think that you do. You don't. You don't. Each character has to have their own voice. And when they're talking, they're going to say things a certain way. And so I, I listen to them and pay attention to as if, how can I explain it? It is really like watching a movie. I watch them, I hear them. Sometimes they won't talk for a while. I see what they're up to and they won't let me know what they're talking about. I'm like, come on, come on. In, <laughs> in, 
in Moonrise, Annie Crow Knoll Moonrise. I know Jose shows up at the at the Knoll from the West Coast, sort of uninvited, and uh, and Beth Ann's not happy about it. But I could see him at the top of the hill, at the top of the Knoll, and she is down in the fireplace pit, looking up, totally shocked. You know, she loses her breath when she sees him up there. But I didn't know what they were going to talk about for the longest time. I just had that image. Mm. Well, there was a writer that was on the podcast um, a week or two ago, and she, uh, Christine Lincoln, and she won mm-hmm. the Sophie Kerr Prize at Washington mm-hmm. College in Chestertown, Maryland. Yes, I saw the po- um, listen to the podcast, yeah, and she talked about um, for fiction writers, especially for her, that hearing her character was a bit spiritual. Mm. You know, you talked about like I'm not crazy, but I hear these people in my head, and she was talking about the same thing that these characters they come to you and they have something to say and mm-hmm. you end up being you end up being a vehicle for these things that you kind of made up but then you kind of didn't i i totally agree with you i feel as though i'm a vessel or a channel and i have to get quiet and and go to the laptop or go to my notebook if i choose to write longhand which i i do less and less of but i used to do it all the time but i have to sit with it i have to sit down and show up i have to show up and they're going to talk to me and, and sometimes they won't stop and I keep going and, and it'll be time for dinner or whatever. And I'm like, well, I can't stop now. They're talking and because they may shut up on me. <laughs> you can't lose that moment. I, I don't want to lose that starting. moment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so true. Mm-hmm. I like the way that you described it as the characters having a voice because, I mean, it's not a secret that characters have a voice. But when you're writing fiction, mm-hmm. you you cultivate these characters and their voice emerges. And one of the difficulties that I just discovered now in writing nonfiction is it's already my voice Mm -hmm. and trying to impose someone else's, trying to pose my voice on someone else's words doesn't work so well for Mm -hmm. me. And I guess that's one of of my... Yeah, I I think you and I are classically rooted, deeply rooted in nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So for us the characters are real people. So it never occurs to me what my characters sound like because my characters are real people. I've either heard them or their voice is sort of, mm-hmm. I mean. It's, but it's, it's also what you think about them. Right. Not mm-hmm. what they think about well, themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be the yeah That's, sticking point. It is a sticking point. And I sometimes don't agree with what they decide. And I'm not happy. <laughs> But I have to let them do what they're going to do. And it ends up better most of the time. If I try to control them, you know, it's a mess. I have to really let them live their lives, make their mistakes. It's kind of like kids. Yeah. <laughs> Invisible children <laughs> running all around, right? Invisible and, children and, and, in my and head. And it somehow, it somehow works out. <laughs> but isn't it interesting how, how you say that, you know, all these characters are people you made up, but yet now they're going to do things that you as the writer can mm-hmm. no longer control. Isn't that annoying? You would think, hey, I created you. You owe me, baby. Do what I say. But, um, you know, I find that, for example, Annie in in the beginning of the trilogy, you know, she marries the wrong guy and everybody's upset about it, but that's what she needs to do. And I have to let her do it because there's more conflict. Sure. You know, everybody wants her with Packard and uh, I'm like, well, we'll get there eventually, but she has to make her mistakes. Well, we all we, try, yeah. we relate to her then because yeah. we all make mistakes. Oh God, the things I wish I could go and fix and redo, Ugh, especially well, when I was a kid. One of the one of the things that it's a kind of a recurring theme here, especially when we're talking about characterization, is 
this idea that you have to be like, once you make a statement, you have to, fo what follows from that isn't necessarily from your control. If you have this picture in your head and you mm -hmm. say, well, this happens mm -hmm. and then this happens, then what follows, like, just like in real life, you're eliminating, it's not that you don't have freedom of choice, you're just eliminating possibilities as you go along. Each choice cuts off two other ones, for example. And with the short stories, there are fewer options because it has to be shorter. Because the clock's ticking, yeah. And you're making me sit here and realize when I look at the short stories, they didn't argue with me as much because they didn't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly feel like the characters in Eastern Shore Shorts were much more cooperative because they have to make it happen. And they can't take the extra time to get involved in this, that, or the other thing. As you said, Tony, the choices are limited. Um, and that's very helpful. Yeah, I, I think I like it. I think I like writing short stories a lot, and I never thought I would. Well, it's a finite statement. The, 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 a short story is, I mean, it, they still have themes and settings and things, mm -hmm. like, but there's the, the point of it is a little bit more truncated. Mm -hmm. So since the point's a little bit more truncated, as you said, this, the characters start out with fewer options mm -hmm. because the point of it is, when you start a novel, the point of it is, let's see if this ends up becoming a novel when I'm done writing it. Exactly. <laughs> but, but when you start with a short story, like the, the point of this is these two people are going to meet and th that's where the conflict is. Mm -hmm. And they don't have a choice, but from there they have, again, limited choices. Well, it's like, it's like Gail said earlier, it's that surgical, that surgical mm -hmm. strike of, mm -hmm. you know, get it in, get it done. But I think there's also, you know, there, there's a beauty to that too. I mean, there's a beauty mm -hmm. to that simplicity to being able to, you know, as you've done in this collection, you've been able to give us, these stories that so beautifully follow that short story arc and they kind of, they kind of, I, I almost kind of see it as a wave. We kind of mm -hmm. roll into the story, we roll up and then we kind of crest down and it's, it's a nice gentle wave. It's not one that kind of pounds into the sand at the end. Right. It's know? not, it's not a whole hurricane. Right. Although there is a hurricane in, in, um, <laughs> homeward migration, <laughs> but I know what you mean. It's a, it's a wave rather than a full storm. When you're writing right. longer pieces, you get through the whole storm, but, right. and, and I enjoy trying to give backstory to these characters when you have less space to do it. Mm -hmm. So they have a moment that they reflect on or something that reminds them of the past and it's real quick, but we get the picture and we don't have to see all the details. Well, I think that's what makes short stories compelling in general is that mm -hmm. as a reader, you're asked to contribute so much more, so much more quickly. And again, mm -hmm. we get really invested in novels, but in short stories, we get invested immediately. Mm -hmm. We have to be invested immediately. And since we are, we're active the entire time we're reading it. So the author can ask us to participate more mm -hmm. because we don't have to participate as long. Like you couldn't, you couldn't keep up that kind of pace in a novel without exhausting the reader. That's but true. that's the kind of thing you can do in a short story is mm -hmm. ask a lot of them right up front and deliver, as long as you deliver at the end, then they'll right. be happy with you. That's true. And I just wanted to kind of kind of take a, a, a bit of a turn to another another journey. So this actually was published by Cat and Mouse Press. Mm -hmm. So could you talk to us a little bit about that that component? So it's one thing to write a novel, or one thing to write a series of short stories. It's another thing altogether to publish it. So could you talk to us a little bit about the editing process, the publishing process, working with Nancy and how mm -hmm. Eastern Shore Shorts kind of came to be what it is. And I'm dying to know how you got Eric Saylor on your cover. Well, that was Nancy. 
I had nothing to do with that. She is the miracle worker. Um, but, oh, what a pretty cover. It's gorgeous. Oh, it's, I mean, Eric Saylor does amazing work, but, I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's, that really is cover art. And Nancy um, sat down with him, and they went through images, at least if I remember clearly what she had mentioned to me, and they picked out this one and uh, ran it past me, which was so kind of them, and I fell in love with it madly right away. Ugh. And everyone loves it. People yeah. talk to me about it all the time. They bring it up. And the process with uh, Cat and Mouse Press is joyful, I'm telling you. She and Joe are lovely people and so supportive and real. They're very, they're, you know, real people. No pretense. And I felt like I could be myself. And we met uh, actually down in Cambridge for our initial conversation. And, you know, we started making deadlines. And um, she wanted... Uh, a synopsis and and each of the all the characters for each of the stories that I thought I would do and there were a couple extra stories that never panned out the characters they wouldn't talk to me mm-hmm. uh, maybe they'll talk to me next time so we went through that process and uh, once I had a plan and I'm not a great I've gotten better at planning but I'm a little bit of a pantser with with writing but I, I and when I do an outline it's more of a mind map and and not so linear but I I I'm not totally right brain. I am, I have a strong left brain, so I could do what Nancy wanted. And it was actually excellent and helpful to me. So I had the plan. And then I started with one of the stories. And it wasn't the order. I didn't write them in the order that they ended up. That was really Nancy and I talking and mostly Nancy deciding what would flow properly because she's really an expert at short stories. So I would send her a story. She would edit it. I send it back. I didn't look at it till I was done. Then I would go back and I started going through the files. And, you know, we would go back and forth. And uh, she gave me great ideas, um, a lot of feedback. Uh, once in a while, I wouldn't agree. Um, and sometimes I had to sit there and say, what's the right thing to do? And I, I would, I would, I don't want to say the word give in. It doesn't sound right because we weren't working that way. But I, I would say, no, you're right. Let's go with that. It, it's not that important to me. Even the titles of the stories weren't that important except for antiques. It had to be antiques. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really fought for that one. And, and uh, it, it is antiques. But she came up with uh, Drama Queen. She came up with Crab Cake Tango. I, you know, I said, name the stories. I'm okay. Because we, it was so collaborative. Nice. And then eventually, you know, it got to the point where we were editing for copy. And then, of course, she has a copy editor, but then I'm, you know, very picky. So I had to go through everything again and make sure it was right. And the process was really fun. And she, you know, texted me one day and said, you know, your characters eat a lot. Well, (laughs) I love to eat. However, you know, when you're writing dialogue, to have them doing something helps your dialogue. It grounds them in the setting. It helps people to see what they're doing and and what they're about. And so, you know, I have the meeting. So she came up with the great idea of adding recipes. So we have recipes in the back, and they're, they're a lot of fun. And then I had two friends of mine say, road trip. People need to know how to get to all these cool towns. So let's you know, let's have a road trip. So I, I approached Nancy with that. And, and Eric actually did the map for us. It's in the back because he's a sweetheart. I haven't met him yet, but I know I'm going to love him. Oh, you'll love him. And then um, I actually, I did the research and wrote up the little index for each town so that people know what to hit. You know, if you're going to go through that town, here are the things to look for. 
Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, working with a professional publisher like Nancy at uh, Cat and Mouse Press is that, you know, when you said it wasn't that I gave in, but there's a moment at which, you know, you're a writer, but she's the publisher Mm -hmm. and she's trusting you to do your job as the writer and she's trusting you to give her good stuff. And then in return, it's like, then you trust her to know the right titles, the right order, Mm -hmm. what's going to fit where, and then you sort of, okay, there's like that. And it's, I think a beautiful thing that you could have that sort of implicit trust with her to say, you know, I've given you this and now you're going to sort of take this baby and you're going to, you're going to run with it. And now you're sort of doing your, you're, you're kind of traveling all over Delmarva now. It is. Um, It's fun. I know you've got a couple of book signings coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we've talked about, you've got three dates on June 30th. Yeah. My wedding anniversary. But Gary and I are going to celebrate later. Um, yes, we are going to be at Sundial Books in Chincoteague on the 30th in the morning from 11 to 1. And then we're going over to the uh, Delaware Discover Center uh, from 2 to 4. And then we're driving up to Bethany Beach uh, Books at 6.30 in the evening. Nice. And, uh, oh, I love the beach at that time. So that'll yeah. be a lot of fun. And the following Sunday on the 8th, we're at Browse About uh, from 10 to 12 in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I have a really fun um, afternoon planned. We're going to be at Brandywine Assisted Living. And I said to Nancy, you know, I like to give back. What if we don't just talk about the book? What if I actually do something with whoever wants to attend? And I'll be doing a creativity workshop that I've done before. But I, I reshape it for each group. Sure. And uh, I'm going to get them doing doing a little writing themselves. Well, that is wonderful. Yeah. All right, Stephanie. Well, now there's a part of the show where you thank the guests. <laughs> well, Gail, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. It's a delight to have you. Thank you. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at So What's Your Podcast. I screwed up. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun things. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review. Tell your story.